This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others, and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. Welcome back to the Worth Your Time podcast. I'm your host, Erica Anderson. I'm so glad you're here today. This week, I'm speaking with Sarah Bayat, the founder of Kacheco, a social good jewelry business she founded several years ago. Kacheco was inspired by Sarah's love for the Democratic Republic of Congo, where she's been nearly every year for the past seven years or so. Her creative side found a way to partner with her love for the orphans she had invested so much time and care into during her yearly trips to, to the Congo for Christ Orphanage. After being influenced by companies like Tom's Shoes, Sarah started selling jewelry without ever dreaming it would become as successful as it is today, and she even recently got a brick-and-mortar shop. I'm so thankful that I met Sarah on a trip that I took to the Congo several years ago, and we've remained friends ever since. I so much admire the tenacity and passion it has taken Sarah to build this incredible business, and I know you'll be fascinated by her story today. So enjoy my conversation with Sarah Bayat. Welcome back to Worth Your Time, and I am so excited to be talking to my friend Sarah Bayat today. Sarah is a small business owner. She's a bar instructor. She is um, a wife, and I think you do a little dancing too, right, Sarah? Uh, um, More recreationally now, but I was on a team in college. Uh, My husband and I were both on a a hip-hop dance team, so that's a fun little tidbit of how we met. I was going to say, I remember um, a fond memory of when Sarah and I first met, which we we actually met when we were on a a trip to the Democratic Republic of the Congo, and she and her husband performed a hip-hop dance routine for us (laughs) (laughs) out there, and that was maybe the most entertaining part of the whole trip, I think. Uh, (laughs) That was so fun. Well, you know, if you can't laugh at yourself, then... Right. Well, you guys were... But you're actually good. That's the thing. It's like, you're good at it, Um, so... I'm just, Thanks. That's really kind. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Um, so uh, the reason, I mean, there's many reasons I wanted to talk to you, Sarah, but one of the main reasons is because you've started this wonderful company, Kacheco, uh, which was really birthed out of your love for the Congo. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. But tell mm-hmm. us a bit about your life living. You live in Washington, D.C. You run this business. Um, mm-hmm. Tell us a bit about those things to kick us off. Sure. Uh, so I live in, uh, like you said, I live in Washington, D.C. with my husband. Uh, we have moved around a couple different neighborhoods, but I've been I've been there since 2003. I first uh, came to D.C. for college and with the intent of, of, you know, going to school and then and then leaving and moving after that. But it somehow the city has has kept us and has had has hosted has been our home and um, the backdrop for um, starting our adult lives. Um, yeah, so my husband and I, we live in uh, the Northwest Quadrant of DC, and we've moved around a couple different neighborhoods. Like I said, um, I feel like our lives are a tale of two cities in a way, uh, because in that, my husband, he has a very, uh, very DC type job. He works in government relations for a law firm in in Georgetown, and he's very much like on the hill and very politically um, informed, and always working on uh, issues for his clients. Uh, I, however, have carved out a more uh, unconventional path. Uh, so I work. I have a a creative uh, business, and it's called Kacheco Goods. So we're a retail company, and I design products um, right now. We've been focused on jewelry for the past four years since starting Kacheco, and what it, it also is a social impact brand. So the whole kind of model of giving back and corporate social responsibility has been very intriguing to me for some time, um, but wondering how do we do this um, if I'm if I'm not a big corporation and don't have um, access to lots of capital and, and resources, how do we do this on a small business level? So that has been 
the uh, yeah the query of the past four years, and um, I I care a lot about fashion too, and um, and impact and and community building through various and through various uh, you know threads of uh, going to school and studying international development to some mission work with um, our church in D.C. and then um, yeah now the the excitement of starting a business and running my own small business in DC and being one of the, being one of the few, but, but more, but more and more um, small business owners that live and have um, established livelihoods in DC. So that's a little bit about us. Um, yeah, we're there currently. Um, we live with friends. Um, so we're uh, renting a basement apartment and living with uh, some friends of ours now. And so kind of have this like fun group living situation. Oh, that's really fun. So <laughs> what were you doing before you started Kacheco? Uh, so full time, I was working at National Community Church. It's a multi-campus church, interdenominational. They have campuses in D.C. and Virginia. So, um, And at the time that I worked for them, I started in 2010 and then worked for them for three years. I uh, took over as their office manager, and they were in uh, an interesting space. I think they're always in an interesting space, but like they were definitely growing. So they double during the time that I was there, they nearly doubled their staff, moved over to two offices, expanded campus locations. I think perhaps three or four um, at that point. So there was a high like growth uh, mode in, in play at the time that I was there. So I learned a lot of admin and operational uh, tasks and roles and kind of wore many hats as you do working uh, at a church that is also kind of very much about like people and lifestyle. And it's not just like a clean and cut nine to five type job. So yeah, that's what I was doing before I started Kachaka. But fill me in. Do you, are you the artist yourself? How many people are doing the art? How do you come up with the ideas? Um, tell me all about the inner workings of that. Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, so I am the full, I'm the full-time employee currently. Uh, so founded the company. I still am the one designing all of the products, all of the jewelry and the styles that we have. Um, however, in the past year, I've started to branch out and, well, I would say like maybe the past two years, I've started to branch out and uh, experiment with an artisan group uh, based in Kenya who they handmade, uh, they took my designs and they handmade all of the products out of brass and uh, ethically sourced horn. And so they made all the products from start to finish. Um, and then there'll be other, uh, what, I, what I've has been, I think, something that I've leaned into now with Kitschako is that it is a mixed media jewelry company. So in that it's not just, um, it's not just traditionally metal or it's not just ceramic or it's not just like one or two cut types. It's, uh, I like mixing material and pattern and kind of creating like a textural feel with all of the products. So I will, um, obviously like you can't, do all of that. So I've found um, different sources, either family-owned manufacturers who help fabricate the metal or smaller artisan groups who um, they hand shape the ceramic and make um, the different findings there that uh, I then buy and that I, I design, have them make and then buy and then put all the final touches and assembly together in my studio in DC. So that is in, very, in, in terms of the production and the manufacturing and making, that's still me full time. Um, I've been able to hire um, on a contract basis uh, like several people to help run events and shows uh, when I'm when I'm doing like markets out in either in DC or other places. Um, um, fortunately, unfortunately, my husband he loves the sales part of things. So he, um, he's been able to travel with me quite a bit and he, uh, offers one muscle, which is awesome. And then two, he, he's like not shy at all about getting behind the booth and sharing about the brand and the story and the products and, um, um, helping out in that realm. So it's nice to have, nice to have his partnership there. That's amazing that you're doing all the designing. I am totally impressed by that. <laughs> 
Yeah, um, thanks. <laughs> I think it's uh, it's been a lot of learning, um, big learning curve, and and trying to understand like what works and what doesn't. And um, I was sharing this with another uh, person I was talking to about the business uh, last week. Was that I think one of the one of the challenges I think that has been um, both. I think equal parts really hard, but also really gratifying has been learning how to become an artist. Um, actually, like, you know, actually in terms of actually manifesting um, a creation out of like material, and then also uh, becoming a business person at the same time. They, some, they like a lot different different modes of your brain. <laughs> so having them fire all the time, all at once, it's kind of yeah. It it, <laughs> it definitely requires like a lot of like sleep and green juice. <laughs> oh yeah, and well, and they say when you become an entrepreneur, you know, everybody has a dream, or many people have a dream of working for themselves, and and yet they say once you do that, you're basically um, working twenty four hours a day. Is that yeah. the case? <laughs> yeah, it is, and it's like I think it can be. Um, it can be sexy at first, you know, like when you are starting something, it's such a, it's such a risk. And I think a lot of people think about their, I think everyone has a, a dream, like a pocket dream or something that they want to be able to do and start something themselves, create something out of nothing. And for people that are doing it or actually do it, I think there's a lot of admiration, support, um, curiosity that comes like when you watch someone else do it so I think it can be it can be um fuel for yourself to like continue on and keep keep working at it because there's like an endless amount of things to do when you start something like like there's small tasks big tasks like big vision um the designs like actually like distributing and marketing your product and sales and so there's so many aspects to the business that I think even if you're not actually working on it, like you're thinking about it or something like is there in your brain, um, working out a problem or trying to figure out what will, what will happen next. So it can be quite like, uh, yeah, you can be quite obsessed with it. So I think that has positives and negatives. And I think four years in now, I'm trying to not be so obsessed and like still obsessed, but not like have it consume all of my time and energy and conversation. Yeah. Well, you talk about how much work it takes and how you're always thinking about it. Well, the only way that something like that could be sustained is if you are passionate about it. And mm -hmm. you said, you know, James is really out there and ready to tell the story about Kacheco and how it started. So tell us about what ignited this. Like, what is it that gave you the the passion to start this business and what is it about Congo that you love? Tell us your Congo story. I was able to uh, get my grad, my grad degree and study international development. Um, within that program, um, there was a summer that I ended up focusing on the Democratic Republic of Congo. So that was like a very like African centric um, course and studied that for summer. And I think there's something about the study there and like learning about the complex issues, the the contradiction of how like beautiful and the homeless, there's so much potential in this country and the history that it has had, the really hard history with where it is now. It's something about that really struck me and it kind of was like, this is like a quintessential um, this is why I'm studying international development, right? To like kind of help these situations. Um, so after grad school, I wanted to, I kind of had that in my brain that like, I would love an opportunity to travel over there and work, um, or volunteer or some, some, some kind of like opportunity to go over. And the opportunity came along in 20, uh, 2010, 2011. So it was actually when I just started working at NCC, um, the church. So, uh, there was, uh, and there was a woman there who was attending, and she had a nonprofit that had been working many places, but Congo was one of the, um, through family ties, I think she had a connection with a local pastor in the eastern region of Congo. And so he was in the middle of starting an orphanage. And the one thing that he needed before opening the orphanage was uh, access to clean water. So he was on this like fundraising campaign of trying to get uh, funds for a clean water pipeline. And uh, this woman, her name's Renee, she brought it to the church and um, we ended up doing a fundraiser, like actually like Pastor Mark, he was the one who was like, let's do this, like we can contribute. So for two weeks, they ran a fundraiser and uh, we were able to raise the money for, for the clean water pipeline, um, which was awesome. And 
So um, after that, we after the funds were raised, uh, the church decided to send a team over to Congo to kind of see like what our investment um, was going towards, and I uh, became a co-leader of that of that team. So that was like my first experience going over in 2011, and I was like, huh, like wow, here we go. Um, so this was more like uh, this first visit was all of kind of just about learning, listening and learning. And we uh, established a relationship with the local community there his, and um, through Jeremiah. Um, he is a leader, community leader. He's a father of like seven, seven kids. Um, he's a pastor as well. And in that culture, like pastors are like very highly respected. So he is definitely, um, a leader and looked up to and his authority is like respected. Um, he's, he's just a great guy. He's like a really good heart and like came back to the Congo after having an opportunity to travel around, um, because he wanted to rebuild. So I think that that first experience really left um, a deep impression on a lot of us. There were 13 of us for that first trip, and we uh, wanted to, you know, go back. So um, this, like, and this started like years of years of trips, annual trips, sometimes more than once a year. And um, I think our role each year had. Um, evolved. There was a different. There's a different need that we like addressed each year. But we've done everything from like training, skills training, to capacity building. Um, in terms of the, there's an orphanage there, so trying to um, provide skills like project management skills, different um, skills that the teams can, the staff there can use to help things along. Um, we've helped uh, consult with like agricultural product uh, projects. Um, the one exciting thing is, um, the one of the many, but one of the exciting things that I got really passionate about was they have this vision to not only just like take care of, uh, these 58 kids that were living at the orphanage, but they really wanted to expand their work to the community and provide a safe space, but also a place where people, where the kids can learn. Um, and so they, they started to formulate this vision for a school and, um, there's like these two, there's these couple trees that are really abundant and growing and they're like mango trees on the land. And so they decided to call this school, this vision for a school, a mango tree school. Um, so in 2013, that is when we, uh, a lot of us, um, rallied like our friends and family and Renee is still involved through the nonprofit and uh, we raised funds for uh, the primary school. And so we were able to help them along and uh, they built this six, uh, six room class, six room school um, on the land. And uh, it very quickly became like, just like such a great bridge builder for them and the community um, to invite like families who have, you know, on average, like four kids um, per household to, um, and a lot of these kids like weren't in school. Um, they provided a place for them, um, to, you know, learn, learn skills, um, have access to clean water. They, uh, incorporated a lot of values based, um, teaching. So there's a lot about relating to one another. There's multiple tribes that go to the school. So there's just like a lot of good things that were happening there. And that was happening in 2013, and so here, and so here I am, like traveling to Congo, and coming back to my real life in DC, and just wondering if there was like a way that, you know, th this experience can be shared or translated to other people that won't go or that really don't know where Congo is on the map. Um, <laughs> and I was trying to find the things that like people could relate to through this experience as we. Um, had as we continue to travel over um and like i've always had this interest in fashion and uh and retail and there was a point where i realized in the fashion industry just how much kind of like waste there is and also how it can just be all up about itself um but I really like found the clothing and the designs and all of that to be to like resonate and be powerful works of art that like really um, made an impact on me. So, but I was like, oh, I don't know how to reconcile that with like my passion of like 
inter- international development and community building. Um, yeah. There's no need. I just started like crafting um, in 20, in like 2012. Like I, my job was, was um, teaching me a lot and demanding a lot, but like I needed a creative outlet because I couldn't just like look at spreadsheets or be behind the desk any longer. So I just started crafting and then my mom used to sew and she was kind of like a pretty good seamstress back in the day. So um, I wanted to kind of model after her, so I started taking sewing lessons. And um, when I was sewing, there were all these like cuts and like remnants from um, the sewing projects that like you kind of just like would throw away or recycle. And I was like, well, what, what could we do with these? Like, they're such, you know, they're still good fabrics and good prints. Um, and so I just started making these button, like these button earrings. And like some friends, they introduced the project like one night at like a craft night, like at a friend's house. And I was like, oh, this is brilliant. I started making a lot of these earrings and wearing them and then started selling them and like I think in the process of selling, that's when I got the kind of like the light bulb moment of like, whoa, what if I'm selling these, like I could like branch off into other things and then maybe I could um, actually create a business and maybe I could create a business that helps this community in Congo and combine these things. So then they don't have to be separate in my, in my, in my own life and in my own brain Um, and social impact and like social impact business, socially conscious business. um, I think that is like, the way to go. That's like the, that's the future. That's like the now too. But, um, I really wanted to kind of start something with like that spoke to that. Uh, so, so your business is, is not a nonprofit, but I know like, uh, Jessica Honiger of Noonday, she calls Noonday mm-hmm. a not just for profit business. Um, is that kind of, and I think that there's, I think there is, um, it's not just a zero sum game. Like, there, you can make a profit. You can live off of your business. You can make money and money is not inherently bad, but I think you don't have to do it in a way that like harms the environment or harms people or it, or on the positive side, like it can help people. And I think that is like the, the, the problem I'm trying to solve through my business. And so what's your model for, for giving back to the mango tree school? How does that work? Right. Yeah. So the model is a buy one, give one model. Uh, it For every piece that is sold, there is a scholarship that is given to one child um, and that will send them to school for one month. So oh. buy one piece, give a month of school. So it's something that uh, through a lot of like listening and um, and uh, interviews with the school and the staff, we were able to kind of break down the cost of how much it, it, it actually costs to send the child to school through Mango Tree School. And it is like five to six dollars. There's like a $15 like government fee that happens at the end because like that accounts for like taxes and fees and all of that. And then there's uniforms and books and all of that. But like the actual tuition to keep the school open, it's like five to six dollars per kid per month. So it's really doable. Um, and I wanted to create something that is just tangible and transparent across the board. So like the customer, they know what they're doing. They know the impact they're making by purchasing a product. And then, um, I know like how much we're responsible and accountable for to send to the school. And then the school knows that like when the business does well, like it, like these are the scholarships that they can expect. So it's not a charity. And so going back to the kids, um, you said there was 58 orphans to start with. I know some of them are older now and probably college age at this point, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some of them are actually in, in college, which is crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. I can't imagine because when I went there, it was 2012 and they were all so tiny back then. <laughs> yeah, yeah um, not so tiny. Do you have any um, particular kids that you connected with really um, personally or any stories about any any kids that um, are related to Kacheco in any way? Just just any kids you could tell us about? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think two, two kids come to mind. Um, so one of them is Heritier. Um, so Heritier, Zach, he is in college now and he uh, wants to be a doctor. He's seen a lot of just like the physical um, like illness that has hit his his brothers and sisters and his community just because of like you know malaria is endemic there and um, typhoid through like you know unclean water so like things like that happen and he he's seen the power that like doctors could have in this area to help heal and and so he wants to be a doctor and he's st- currently studying for that um, 
and he yeah he's had like he's one of those kids that like a lot of them they've had to grow up way too fast um and so it's been cool to kind of see over the years how he's um how he's engaged his uh love for like play and art um so not only does he want to be a doctor but he's actually a really talented artist like he has shown sketches and paint and like kind of like these colored pencil um sketches that he's done and they're like really good um so it's that's been cool to see him like nurture his own art and now studying in school and i think he's like on a good track um and his brothers and sisters like look up to him um for sure and he's just like a good guy he's like not too yeah he doesn't take himself too seriously he can still laugh so i'm like that's beautiful when you can kind of after everything that they've been through, being orphaned, um, going through poverty, kind of like not, you know, like there's uh, that fight or flight mode is like very real for them. But when they can kind of like, you know, let the walls come down and like play and laugh and um, their bonds with each other are so strong. It's like just really amazing. Um, and then another girl that I think of is Colette. Uh, she's uh, now, I think she's now college age. She's just like this wo- this woman. Oh my gosh, woman. I want to say girl, <laughs> but gosh, I think she's like woman. Okay. She is this woman that like has this, um, like this inner strength and it speaks. Like, she is not like the loudest one. She's not, um, you know, in your face. She's like quick with a smile though. Like, you know, she'll engage. She has this like maturity about her that is um, really stunning. And uh, I remember like we were having, uh, this is a couple of years ago, we were having a girls chat. So like we took the girls that are, you know, um, either entering or in adolescence um, and had this like health talk, this health talk, real talk about like, you know, boys and their periods and their bodies changing and all all the hormonal (laughs) things that they don't necessarily talk about. Um, But I think because we're American and like, we're like just visitors, you know, it's like, okay, like let's chat chat about this when it might not be like a a cultural thing that they often do. Uh, I remember her saying at this one, at this session that she, uh, there are a lot like there are boys that you know because like she's growing up and like she's cute and like there are boys like and when she does the hour-long walk to school there are boys that like holler at her and all that <laughs> and um and I think she like the the realities of like the girls that she's seen in her own school um that Congo is one of the highest um capitals of of rape in the world it's been used as a weapon of war but then mm-hmm. it's kind of like this insidious thing that like happens and I don't like there aren't a lot of tools to like talk about it or to like or um consequences right right perpetrators yeah so facing like those kind of everyday challenges and then um sometimes like there are bad teachers in the public schools not mango tree school but like these are the high schools and like schools that are out there um, where they will ask for bribes to give good grades or they'll ask for things or, or like some of them might even ask for like sexual favors. So you've like heard this and there's like reporting on it. Um, so like kind of like, you know, like dealing with that, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of things coming at her and coming at these girls. And so she, uh, she just kind of like declared at this session that she's like, you know what, I am not gonna, I'm not gonna like focus on boys. I'm not gonna, um, like get distracted by them. I'm not going to like, she says something to that effect of like, I'm going to focus on myself and my studies. And I want to, um, I want to do things with my, with my life and I'm not going to just, um, and just go with boys. <laughs> and, <laughs> like, not that boys are bad, but like, I was like, wow, like there was like power to her, to her declaration. You know, she had this like idea of what she wants to do with her life. And I thought that was like really amazing that, um, the space that like, Pastor Jeremiah and like all the work that the staff is doing has like been able to give the kids like this ability to, to dream of like something more, you know? So, yeah. And, and usually, um, you know, kid, people get married really young over there. Not that getting married young is, is bad, but it's nice mm-hmm. to see someone that is dreaming bigger. And, um, I think that's really cool. Okay. Bringing it back to Kacheco. How are there brands or people that you've modeled it after or that you're inspired by? One of the one of the first inspirations when I started Kacheco was uh, Tom's, the the shoe 
the shoe and also like now they've expanded into like eyewear and um, accessories, um, the brand out of California. So they, uh, you know, they kind of like, well, they weren't the first ones to do this, but they definitely like were the ones that made it like na a, a national, international thing where like this whole buy one, give one model was like very um it kind of established itself in everyone's like brains you know through their marketing and through their messaging so um I think when I was starting off the model with Kacheco I wanted to to have also a model that was like pretty clear about what our impact is and like how you can engage so that was one and um I love uh there's this brand out of New York called Lizzie Fortunato and it's a uh, it's run by two sisters, two twin sisters, like, well, they're twins. Um, and they, uh, they, I love their designs. Like everything is like very, um, it's American made, uh, and they don't shy away from quality and it can be, you know, a higher price point for sure. Um, but I kind of just love like the bohemianness and like the, like there's like such a high, like editorial fashion quality with like their product and like when they, when they launch it that that was like one of the early brand inspirations um you recently got a brick and mortar store in washington dc and how's that going how did you make that decision uh and also on top of that what are you finding is the most um successful way that you're selling so the brick and mortar it's uh it's like a humble but really cute uh 400 square foot studio slash shop uh so it, DC, like one of the rarities in DC, we have this arts walk that's located in the uh, uh, northeast uh, quadrant, and it's in this neighborhood called Brookland. And like just for context, like there's Catholic University, there's like the big basilica, um, so it definitely has like this residential feel, and it's like a little like nice kind of tucked away nook in DC. Um, but there's this arts walk pavilion where there are 27 about 27 studios, artist studios that, um, have, uh, these roll up garage doors and, um, just kind of art dedicated artist space. So one of those studios came open, um, became open last year. And, um, I, you know, interviewed, did the whole like CV process and, um, was offered this, uh, open studio. So it was a really exciting opportunity for Kacheco because prior to that I was co- I was sharing space, studio space in another facility in DC, which was like more production and a very, very old building, which had a lot of like quirks that were kind of weird, but like charming, but then also like, it was just really hot. So like in the summer, so it like wasn't ideal after a while. Um, but this, yeah, so this studio space, I'm able to expand my production, but then also, uh, have a retail component to it, which is like really kind of um, stretched my legs in, in terms of creating space and branding and creating a feeling and an invitation for people to come into the space and shop the Cacheco product, um, in person. So, well, that um, sounds, that little artist's walkway that you just described sounds magical. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, it because, sounds yeah, like a beautiful place, like out of a storybook that I want to go walk through. <laughs> oh, it's, it's, yeah, it definitely is charming. And there's like, you know, real artists working in there, showing their art. There's like an art gallery, there's leather makers, um, a bag maker, there's ceramicists. Like there's a lot of different, um, art offerings. Um, it also is like kind of, um, during the week it feels sleepy because like we're all kind of just working and it's not like set retail hours because it's everyone's offices, but during, um, like activations and like Saturdays, there's like a farmer's market, a weekly farmer's market. So it's just a kind of a nice little neighborhoody, um, thing that people, um, come to. So it definitely has its charms and like has been a great, like hybrid, I think of experimenting with a retail space and whether that's something I want to do. I love it. And I, I love the photos that you have up. Um, you have a beautiful Instagram account. Everyone go follow. Yeah. Is it Kacheco Goods on Instagram? Yeah, Kacheco Goods. Yeah, Definitely that's... probably that, need to spell that for people, but... Yes. K-I-C-H-E-K-O, correct? Mm-hmm. Correct. Yes. We'll, and we'll also have that in the show notes. But I was just going to say that having that beautiful aesthetic within your studio and within your Instagram account and on your website, all of that is so important um, in terms of branding because you mm -hmm. are an art and a jewelry company. Mm -hmm. um, have you hired outside help to get guidance on that? Um, how do you structure like an Instagram post, for example, you have to put a lot of thought into those. I mean, that is a big deal for a company like yours. So tell us a bit about that. 
Yeah. So definitely, I think um, it's kind of knowing what you're strong at and where you need help at help with. And like, I think there's a lot of things where a lot of hats you wear as a business owner and an artist, but like, you don't, I think, you don't, you shouldn't have to do everything. So um, one of the first investments I made uh, was in photography. So I've, I've worked with a couple of photographers, but like, um, yeah, I definitely have a photographer who does a lot of the styled photos and a lot of the, like, kind of like the lifestyle photos behind the scenes photos that, um, we're able to use as, um, uh, for content on our social media. And then I have worked with, um, currently on pause, but like I have worked with a great little, um, boutique, uh, they, they do, uh, more of the, uh, marketing, mar- marketing side of things, but then they're also pretty like well-skilled at strategy. Um, they're now, they've been based in, in DC, Australia, and then New York, but, um, yeah, their name is Popnod and they have helped with the, like making the e-com side of things more robust. And like, they helped me with my recent migration to Shopify from Squarespace. So, um, yeah, just kind of just keeping those aesthetics and making sure that the bones of on the back end are, um, easy for me to tweak are, uh, like there's, that there's effective, um, like effective tracking and also just um, a really dynamic way of uh, letting the website kind of come alive and communicate like the Kacheco aesthetics. So like they've been pretty instrumental with that. Um, in terms of social media, you know, I've had like a journey with it, you know? So, I mean, our Instagram is the main channel. I don't do all channels. I, I have like the handles for like Twitter and like, you know, we're, I'm somewhat active on Facebook, but Instagram is the main, the main one. Um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, social media is its own job. It's its own full-time job. And like people get paid like money to, to manage these accounts. And so when you're doing a lot, you kind of have to pick and choose and, but like Instagram has been one of the most like effective tools and channels for my own brand because it's so aesthetic and because it's so um, like about jewelry and product. And uh, it's been great to like meet customers, keep in touch with customers, um, find stores and like communicate with stores. Honestly, like that's been cool. Like to kind of see how that's evolved. And um, but at the same time, I will say that like, I think I've, not, I haven't been, um, um, it's important to post, but when I do, so, but when I do post, I try to make sure that it's content that serves a purpose and serves in some way. So, um, I'm like, I think just the, I know that you have to be like consistent and for that product to kind of, or for the post to be, um, put up to the, bumped up to the top of feeds and all of that, just the way that the algorithm has changed, which, but I think actually that the algorithm changing and kind of the, the, the wrestle of like, that a lot of small businesses had when it changed. And they're like, I don't understand this. I did put in all this work and now like we're we're getting like all this visibility. And then now like we were getting, um, like, it feels like you went back, like you regressed back to like when you were first building. I think that moment was like when I realized, you know what, like they can, they can constantly change the algorithm. That's the thing. Like we're using their platform. So I'm not going to like stress about this. Let's get to a couple end of the podcast questions. And, uh, first question is best advice you've ever received. Okay. So there's, there's this market love and look forward to, and it's like a really good, it's a, it's a market that provides a really great start to the holiday season. And I think it was just kind of like tough being out there for two days. It was so bitter cold and like, there weren't that many like food and beverage options too. So I remember um, walking, finally getting this chance to walk around on the last hour. And I ran into these two women that I had seen before come by the booth. And like, they were kind of just like around that day. And um, I don't know, I felt like I was having like a moment with Oprah. (laughs) They they, they, like asking about more about the company and the brand. And they're asking about me. And then they're kind of just saying like, hey, you know, like we observed you. We observed you. like throughout the day and we know that like, you know, we know it's cold and we know it's like kind of tough and I can see, I can see how you've like, you know, you're, you're a lot of you, like you're just working, working really hard out there, but I just want to let you know, like your smile, um, your smile is like light and like, don't like your business, you know, you're, you're doing this, but like, just, um, remember, remember that like 
don't remember that joy. Remember that smile that you, when you smile, like I feel light, I feel that joy. And just remember, like, don't let them steal your joy. And like them is like, you know, in quotes, like them, whatever, (laughs) anybody, you know, whatever that means to you at the time. But like, there's a reason why, you know, I started this and that initial spark and that fire. And I think it wasn't so much about my smile, but it like, uh, how that I think that can serve your listeners is that, you know, there's something that, um, is uh, unique to each person that they bring to the table with either your podcast or your business or the work that you do or as a mom or whatever. And um, yeah, like that is uniquely yours. And um, that is an asset and something to remember, you know, that like, there's uh there's a reason we do this life is short and like that we don't have to struggle through everything or it doesn't have to be um yeah it doesn't have to be uh like all I think our mindset our mindset like frames frames a lot of that too so um yeah so don't let them steal your joy after a hard day and like them kind of pointing out that detail that I don't really like think about actively like my just like such a blessing and I was like okay yeah you do have a great smile but this is a good one <laughs> Thanks. It's funny because it's like that. This my smile is like something that I've been very self conscious of oh, my really? whole like, life. Yeah, yeah. Because like just like you know, little kid. Like I'm small. Like I'm petite, and like I have big teeth <laughs> and big smile. And so like kind of kind of took a while to like grow into it. <laughs> well, yeah. That's um, that is great advice. And it's yeah, remembering to smile if nothing else is uh, that's always going to boost your day or or someone else's day. And like doing it on your own terms. You know, like yeah. if someone asks you to smile like you don't you don't owe them that but just like knowing that you you're doing it on your own terms and I think that kind of just relates to like this inner this inner spark and joy like with with what we do and kind of just like not forgetting that or try or taking time to remember remember that because like life doesn't have to be life is hard and it'll throw things at you and like we all experience challenges but it doesn't have to be such a struggle like you don't have to struggle and doesn't have to be such a slog you know so there's like a lot to remember about um, the power of a smile for yourself for others um, for why you do what you do all right so what what show or podcast or book can you recommend right now uh sacred Mm -hmm. enneagram by Chris, I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. Heritz, Heritz. Um, okay. Yeah. So it's it's kind of just like a fascinating dive into into Enneagram and kind of like you know talking about all of the the temperaments, but in more of like a deep dive way, more in a way that like talks about integration and the kind of like when you're operating at your, like your whole self versus, um, but also like not shying away from like the parts of like your temperament that like can be things that you have to be aware of. Um, in terms of like how you how you treat yourself and then how you treat others or how you relate to others, so it's kind of fascinating. I, I like that. What's one. your number? I'm a four. <laughs> Me too. You are. Yes. Well, okay. Wow. So I say I'm a four, and I've taken the test, but I have yet to really dive into a book um, about it, so uh-huh. I can't actually remember what a four is. <laughs> oh yeah. So there's different like so they talk about the history of Enneagram too, like and like the different kind of versions that are out there, which I didn't realize there's so many. But oh for, my gosh, it's it's crazy. There's so much about it lately. So many, yeah, there's really been like a surge of like interest in it. Cause I think people are trying to figure out like themselves, you know, and like mm-hmm. what you know, their unique kind it's of helpful. Offering. It is, yeah. So I've been I'm into it right now. I'm in the middle of it. But um, if you need one, I think that would been would be a good one. Um, and then also, I'm trying to kind of just get a better, like, more mastery of like my day. So I'm reading the Perfect Day Formula by Craig Ballantine, and it's kind of just like focusing on the things that like you can control and like kind of letting go of the rest of. Um, starting my day with up first, like NPR's up first, and today explained okay. by Vox and Stitcher. Like it's just I don't like I don't like to watch the news for very long so I like the little short and sweet podcasts that tell me like enough so I can stay informed but not feel like overwhelmed by like everything that's happening out there um yeah I've been thinking about trying up first I've been I do the daily mm. um but I was like maybe I should try up first like maybe I'll like it better or maybe I should listen to both I don't know right now Radiolab is doing this like more perfect um like and they've created a a musical album based off of like all 27 amendments 
So oh yeah, it's been awesome. Cause like their podcasts are so well done, so well produced, but like there's mm-hmm. like songs like Dolly, um, Dolly Parton has like done one and they'll have like all these bands, like they've reached out to different bands to do a song inspired by an amendment. So, and then they'll like go into deep dive into the amendment. So it's been really like educational and like, I feel like I'm getting my civics course through it. Um, and then I listened to No Limits with Rebecca Jarvis. I think she's like a really great interviewer and it's been inspiring mm-hmm. to like listen to other uh, business owners and entrepreneurs on their journey. Um, and then Super Soul Sunday, of course, with Oprah. Mm-hmm. Like, of hello. <laughs> Everybody. Everybody listen to that. And then just because it's like more in my wheelhouse of like what I, it's helpful to see what's coming down the line. Um, the National Retail Federation has this podcast called Retail Gets Real. So I listen to that for like kind of trends and like what's going on in the in retail world and now that I have a store. So that's been helpful. Any TV shows or are you not really a TV person? I watch a lot of Netflix. Um, Me too. Yeah. So I'm not really like so much on like, well, okay. This is, Current. My, this is my guilty pleasure. I love Outlander. <laughs> oh, I've heard really good things about that. Yeah, it's. I haven't tried it though. It's it, it'll get you. Um, I like it. I haven't read the books, but I I like um, Outlander. It's on Stars, and so. Um, but in terms of Netflix like shows, yeah, I'll watch like stand up specials. Um, mm-hmm. I love uh, Samin Nosrat's recent uh, four four episode one of um, Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat. It's been like just mm. I, I watch a lot of cooking shows. Well, who's a woman that you admire and why? Since since we're basically talking to all women on this podcast, I, I want to hear about women that we admire. And I just made a. I said, you can't say your mom. <laughs> That's the only thing because everybody mom. always says their mom. <laughs> We know your mom's a given. So. Okay. Okay. Um, fair. Uh, so um, one of the women that I have kind of like tried to keep up with is Angela Ahrens. She mm-hmm. uh, works for, she's on the um, senior executive team of Apple and is in charge mm-hmm. of all their retail. And I think her career is fascinating because she's actually like Indiana, born and bred. Um, yeah. And she worked in a bunch of like different fashion houses and, uh, her most notable, I think was her, um, uh, her stint at Burberry. So she kind of like revamped the brand and kind of like made it, um, strengthen the brand again after like, they were like over licensing their prints to all these places. And like kind of the brand was diluted. She came in and kind of like really, um, honed in on like what makes Burberry Burberry and then created, um, like these like interesting experiences in store using tech. And then like, and then she moved over to Apple, like they reached out to her. So like her career has been kind of just really cool to see how she's combined fashion and tech together to create like but for the sake of creating like awesome experiences for people when they like enter into a space so I think that's kind of fascinating to me and I like looking to her um I really enjoy um this well Debbie Millman she works uh, she's a professor teacher at the school of visual arts and she has a podcast called um design matters and um I think I admire her because like when they interview someone like they do like a dossier deep dive. Like you can tell <laughs> she's like, well, when you were five, you had this like project that you didn't feel so good about. Can you tell us about that? And you're like, how do you know? Like, how do you know these things? So her team um, does like really great research and kind of like makes for a very like beautiful, um, but like really interesting story when you're like learning about someone when she interviews them. So I think, um, if I can, if I can be a better like question asker and better um, storyteller and conversationalist, like I definitely look to her for that kind of inspiration. Um, and then, that's awesome. I, I want to listen to that now. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's worth uh, like giving it, giving it a go. Um, and then just like two like real women that in my life, like that I am very thankful for this year and admire are uh, my two friends, Nicole Crowder and Amira Al-Ghali. Um, I think Nicole left her job at the Washington Post. Um, and then also she worked, had a brief little thing at Netflix and then um, just became a, a upholstery designer like full time. So she, um, yeah, she like takes these loved um 
like chairs and couches and, and like reupholsters them and gives them new life and breath. And, um, she is one of those like souls that just has this like high frequency, you know, like she's just like has this great energy and, um, is amazing with words. Like I love kind of just like reading her, reading her words, even if it's like a text or something. <laughs> it's, um, yeah. it's just, I think there's a grace to it that, um, but she's also just so real, you know? So like, I, um, I love her and I think she's doing amazing things. And I know that like when you pivot your career, it can be like lonely and, uh, but, but it can be, um, also amazing. And I think she's kind of in that year of like breakthrough in a lot of ways and kind of just her work is just speaking for itself and she's doing, she just got a studio space in DC. So like, I'm so excited for her. Um, and then Amira is, uh, she's like really big on leadership and um, culture setting and strategy. And she's had like a number of jobs. She's helped, like she helped her old professor, like build a, build a business from the ground up. But she's kind of like in this um, season of exploring beauty as well. So she has like a job in the tech world right now, but she's also just like this plant mama and this like woman like that's like fully woman and has like this amazing heart and she loves people so much and I was like wow I think sometimes I feel like sometimes I'm like I feel so like business-minded like I she reminds me to to live with heart thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today I am going to make a point to come to your brick and mortar store (laughs) I'm actually gonna I'm actually gonna be in DC in a few days but um I That's will be awesome. back. I don't, I don't think I'll have time because I'm only going to be there for like 24 hours, but I'll be back in December mm-hmm. and I'll have a little more time and I would really, really like to come by. So what are your hours? Yeah, definitely let me know. Uh, so the hours are um, ever changing. So I would just recommend listeners like to look at Instagram for those hours because right now, you know, we're growing and there's a lot of exciting things ahead for Kachako. Um, but right now I'm like the one uh, fully full time there. So um, and I'm also traveling because it's the holidays so <laughs> if you so ever have you a question, are a one woman show yeah, right now honestly it is like yeah for sure one woman show um so but I just recommend like if people want to um, get in touch like dm me on instagram or um just get in touch through the website yeah and like well like we can accommodate schedules and make appointments and stuff so I'd love to have you over um let me know it'd be great to okay host I'm you. gonna text you because I really want to come okay and, uh, I'm actually in DC all the time for work. So, Mm. um, so I'm glad to know that it's there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, Sarah, thank you so much. And we will, I will be hopefully seeing you soon. Okay. Thanks, Erica. Thanks for having me on your podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today on Worth Your Time. I hope that you got a lot out of that conversation with Sarah and learned a bit about how and why she started Kacheco. To learn more about Kacheco and all the things we talked about today, check out the show notes on the episode page, and we'll see you next Tuesday on Worth Your Time. This episode was brought to you in part by the Compelled Podcast, which uses gripping, immersive storytelling to bring Christian testimonies to life. Listen to missionaries, addicts, martyrs, and more who have seen Jesus at work in unbelievable ways. Listen on your podcast app or compelledpodcast.com.